Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Yarwain, aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 1, Mad Investor Chaos and the Woman of Asmodeus. Episode 44. Carissa notices herself feeling wary as she approaches the temple, which is probably that human flaw Keltham identified earlier, where if bad things happen to you in a place, your idiot brain will try to conclude the place is bad. She wouldn't have noticed before, but she's paying more attention to her flaws lately. However, this is probably not the moment to try to fix them. She'll just go in and learn what ridiculous things have happened in the last three hours and get her headband and figure out what to do about Asmodia. Mayol will have a chat with her that is a lot like the one that Rodez Balaguer just had with Meritzel. It will involve Mayol taking hold of her arm, breaking her wrist and shaking it for emphasis while he lectures her. But he'll heal her afterwards, unlike the other girls because he does not want Sever distracted on an ongoing basis or Keltham noticing anything if he suddenly drags her off for a quickie. Nothing horribly unexpected has happened in the last three hours. Nobody is to make any humorous comments about that because nobody is to tempt fate. Carissa would not even consider making comments about that. Fate is clearly already incredibly tempted around here, despite having, as far as anyone knows, been extinguished a century ago. She puts her headband back on. It's nice how she's not going to have to take it off this time. There's no arguing that the girls are all in over their heads. She's not actually sure that security and Maya Lal are less in over their heads. Contessa Lurilatha didn't seem in over her head, and the Queen didn't seem in over her head, and Aspexia Rugatone didn't seem in over her head. But everyone who isn't on that level might, in fact, be in over their heads. Well, she always wanted to be that good. It's pretty obvious with a headband on that having a headband on isn't anywhere sufficient to achieve that. She's not sure a plus-six headband would be, and while wisdom might be more useful than cunning, it doesn't solve the problem either. The fundamental thing is that they're trying to do something very hard with little margin for error and at least one god actively opposed to their efforts— and while obviously being smart is necessary for handling that. Nefreti. Klepati isn't Dathilani. Being smart doesn't even mean automatically deriving all the law and becoming one with it, within the range that humans are capable of making themselves smart. What she knows now is what Dathilan taught seven-year-olds in a couple days of classes— and while she can feel that it has not only cleared up her confusion about what bargaining is— that it has lit a torch that casts some light on a dozen surrounding things, she can mostly only see everything she doesn't yet know. But Keltham likes her, and if he gets bored in a week, then the other girls will be a week more prepared for Keltham to like them. And while she tries to maintain realistic expectations about how long he's likely to take to get bored, her actual honest guess, now that she's smarter, now that it's a bit easier to split out, which predictions are defensive. Predictions so she won't be sad about whatever happens. What a flaw to have in your brain. Her actual honest guess is that he won't get bored in a week. That he'll pick up additional girls at some point because variety is highly motivating, but that she's already not interchangeable. To him. 
For some reason, this feeling makes her wish that she'd fixed the queen's bag so it could hurt her again. However, not flirting with the queen was the smartest call she made this morning, and she's going to persist in it, even if it would be really nice to be in a lot of pain. And she's not quite on terms with Keltham, where she could run up to him and say, For reasons I can't tell you, I want you to break all my knuckles with a hammer. He's not even there, yet. He wouldn't enjoy it. She gives herself five minutes to spend staring out the window and daydreaming about things to tell Keltham to seduce him to evil, and then tries to steer her mind back on to business. It's probably too late to pull Asmodia aside in a not-maximally-threatening way, but she'll see if she happens to be able to catch her. It's way too late to catch Asmodia without a broken toe that hasn't particularly improved her mood. It's been improved even less by being told in a smiling way that children will be children, but it might be unwise for Asmodia to fuck with Pilar like she was thinking about, considering that Pilar now has an extra two caster circles on Asmodia plus unknown, chaotic. Good powers plus security knows Pilar is more loyal than Asmodia is probably capable of. She's not bothering trying to walk without a limp if Keltham's not around. The food here is substantially better than in Ostenzo Academy. She's gone to get a small snack from the refectory area. They've got some out, probably in case Keltham, or, she supposes, maybe some of the other people here, want one. Nobody's told her she can't. Carissa comes up behind her and takes one too. Hey, she says, you're not in trouble, or you might be, but I'm not it. Do you want to borrow my headband? That's a very good way to get a wizard's attention, even under Asmodia's circumstances. She tilts her head to look at Sivar, which is the chelish equivalent of whirling around in shock. That would seem very generous of you, she says, meaning, why would you do that and what's in it for you? Maybe this is a test to see if she is capable of learning literally at all, and will now report to security after Sivar acts weird. Wouldn't it just... I was really annoyed when it occurred to me as the way to get what I want, here. Especially because it only occurred to me with the headband on and I think wouldn't have otherwise. Wizards more inclined to poetry than Carissa have described taking headbands off, not plus two. Generally, they're talking about plus four, but still, as like 30% of the way to being dead. You can have it for the duration of the conversation and then long enough to look at my third circle spells. All I want is for you to approach the conversation like I'm doing you a favor and will keep doing that if it works this time. Accepted, Asmodia says unhesitatingly. She has no idea what it's about, but the offer is, she suspects, intended to be more than fair. If so, it makes that point well enough. Carissa takes her headband off and tries not to make a face about it. Hands it over. I noticed you were in a bad mood today, she says. Keltham didn't, or this would be a very different conversation, and perhaps you will get it together by the time he's competent to read us at all, but I noticed. And, you know, I'm not worried about whether your incentives are pointed in the right direction. You're not an idiot. You're very clever, actually, or this would also be a very different conversation, and we're the most carefully corrected batch of wizards in all of Cheliacs at present. But... We are working in adversarial conditions. Here, Abadar is mad at us, and to succeed under those conditions, our success needs to be assured from more than one direction. 
Cheliax is doing its chellish best to teach you how to handle yourself here, and Doth Elon, if we were Doth Elani students, would try to bribe you. On the utterly stupid assumption, if Keltham's telling it straight, that punishment doesn't work. Or on the slightly less stupid assumption, if we figure the smart people in charge of Dathilan lie to their people as much as our smart people lie to us. And I don't think Keltham'd be very surprised to learn that, that sometimes you hit a different corner of the motivational system when you dangle a bribe in front of someone. She nods at the headband. Asmodia puts on the headband. She's ever tapped herself with a fox's cunning, but there's said to be a subtle difference from the headband. That with spell silver to anchor a more carefully refined enchantment than a hung spell, it can be smoother, more supportive, befitting something meant to be worn forever after. She can't really tell the difference. In the first rush of clarity, it feels half as intense as fox's cunning, but otherwise mostly the same. Mostly, her newfound clarity is agreeing with her prior impression that, yes, her life is a complete loss in which nothing good has happened to her, nothing good is ever going to happen to her, and all of her goals now consist of being tortured less and staying out of hell for slightly longer. It's definitely possible that having any prospect of anything good ever happening to her would hit a different corner of her motivational system. Dathilan could be on to something there. Asmodia chooses not to say this out loud, where it would be a pathetic plea for help. If Savar is running Detect Thoughts, which would be sensible of her, then she's welcome to the inward thought that isn't a plea for anything. Or, alternatively, we only got the lectures for seven-year-olds so far, and Doth Elan's reasoning will seem much more understandable after a full week of lectures. Asmodia chooses to say instead. Irresistibly compelling, even, which I assume is why they had us sell our souls first. Why not Savar, though? That makes no sense. And Abadar's mad at us? That sounds important. Well, see, we keep lying to his cleric. Keltham has a bunch of divination today. Detect anxieties, detect desires. What do you suppose he's gonna turn up if he casts those and looks at you? Asmodia doesn't laugh out loud even less so, considering how fucked she would be. And yet, somehow, it's still funny. What a lovely bed hell has made for itself to lie in. Detect anxiety might not turn up anything much. You can't be anxious about what's already happened to you. Detect desires might pick up something security doesn't want him to see. The desire to be somewhere else. The desire to not be herself. The desire not to go to hell. Even with an intelligence headband on, she can't think of a solution for that besides removing her, which isn't a good sign. No, wait. She's thought of one. Should have written down on my paper that I'd have a more interesting background, some story that would explain why Keltham couldn't detect my own desires, if I'm about to get a blocking item for that. Would have been a good idea. I haven't got non-detection for you, but security will. I'm not, actually, expecting him to try casting that one on a room full of students, given how some of his other spells have panned out. Not today, when he doesn't recognize it. But maybe he'll surprise me. She smiles tiredly. It's not sincere, but the insincerity isn't really pointed at Asmodia. Now, entertain me for a bit. Pretend you're in Dathilan. What payment would you want for this? 
such that you'd be glad on the whole that you were chosen for it, that you were born for it, such that if you thought of a way to make it go better, you wouldn't just think, they'll kill me if I don't. The thought is painful to glance in the direction of. As Modia turns away from her first internal glance, her first thought is that she's being toyed with. That wouldn't be anything the least bit surprising, but right now it's running into a contradiction with something else. I could entertain you if you hadn't exchanged a headband borrowing for considering that you were doing me a favor, Asmodia says. A little compact between us, probably a bad idea for me to break that. Can she, actually, if she sold her soul to lawful evil? Bore me, then, and give me a straight answer. Look, do I like you as a person? No, I'm not that impressed by mathematical ability I'll have myself once I have time to study with the headband on. Would I give you presents even if I liked you as a person? No. But this is either going to fail spectacularly, in which case we will all die very shortly, or succeed spectacularly, in which case I will be rich beyond my wildest dreams and powerful, hopefully right up to, and not beyond my ability to keep my feet under me. And if I can buy, with that future money that I only get if I win, the slightest sense in your heart that you want me to win, well, that might end up being worth quite a lot to me. Asmodeus thinks that this is probably what it feels like to have somebody trying to buy your soul, before she remembers that already happened yesterday and didn't produce anything like this sensation. It's pretty obvious to her what she wants, now that she stares in that direction. It's the sort of thought that gets people killed, maybe even people who've sold their souls. Intelligence headbands are dangerous things. She doesn't feel like she'd have thought of this with the spell form of Fox's cunning. And having thought it, she's already fucked herself over yet again, and might as well say it to Sevar. There's a story I once heard whispered about the Queen, that if you piss her off badly enough, She'll turn you into a statue and bury you far down enough that even the Hell Knights can't get to you to free your trapped soul. I'd serve someone loyally if there was a realistic compact for that to happen to me. At the end of my life, if I served at some realistic level that's actually in reach for me. Carissa knows exactly what Keltham will see if he turns Detect Anxieties on her, because it hasn't left her mind since the Queen said it, and she's pretty sure it never will even if she succeeds beyond everyone's wildest dreams and gets a duchy out of it. She doesn't say that, obviously. But that leaves her with absolutely nothing to say, nothing she can even really imagine herself saying. Her planned grateful exit was, I think I'll need the headband on to consider that, but she's not sure she can say that. About, about the desire not to be, also, it's almost surely impossible. Not threatening or security would have intervened. And here I was hoping you liked, you know, magic items, strangling puppies, that kind of thing. You know, if I had an aptitude for spell research and a terror of hell, I'd work on permitted forms of immortality, powered by the hearts of babies or whatever. Figure out what the Starstone does to the people it eats. Very few people ever pull off anything even close to immortality. And Asmodia is aware that she's not that good at math to research something that very few wizards have ever figured out. A lot of people want immortality. Very few people get it. Then again, the other form of the thing she wants isn't something that a lot of people want. 
maybe it's genuinely easier to figure out what the Starstone does to the people it eats than to figure out immortality. Though you'd think if it was easy to solve, that Galt would use that instead of their famous soul-trapping executioner's blade, which Asmodia isn't interested in because the Hell Knights will get to it sooner or later. I suppose a slave's bred version of that would be finding enough spells that destroy memories and rewrite personality, that the person who goes to hell isn't effectively me anymore, Asmodia says, and feels a flare of awful hope as she does. Remaking her to be a faithful Saren Ray worshipper might be funny. She'd be so surprised when she ends up in hell. Because fuck Saren Ray, that's why. Giggle. See, if you work out something like that, then you're not constantly constrained by who'll collaborate with you, because I don't think that's even slightly heretical. I know there's a Ninth Circle spell that lets you turn a person into a book and edit it. I'm certainly not going to promise anything on the spot, but if you do a good job and get us to pull this off, I would enjoy rewriting every page of your book. Asmodia's wordless core pulls her thoughts back from a direction of looking, where if she actually thought of any way of doing the thing, security would execute her possibly on the spot. She doesn't even think about where she didn't look. Fuck this. Fuck this again. The only consolation for selling her soul was supposed to be that she could finally think her own thoughts. I'll think about it, Asmodia says after a lengthy pause. I'd realistically want to be rewritten as someone like Pilar who enjoys it and gets off on it and would do great in hell, just in case it's still me in there no matter what. Going for contract devil, when you grow up, are you? I'm going for getting to grow up. I can't say I can relate to not wanting that, but if you do a good job for me, I expect I'll arrange you any stupid thing that takes me less than a month of my time. That ball is in your court, though, presently. You'll have to go study Dath Ilani thought and convince me that an Asmodia who wants something is valuable enough for the no-doubt unpleasant series of conversations it'll take to figure out a version of it I'm allowed to give you. The subtlety of wording doesn't escape the notice of Asmodia wearing a headband. Study Dath Ilani thought, not Dath Ilani knowledge. That sounds like a daring thought to think for somebody who hasn't sold her soul. Who do you think you are? Who are you, in fact, to make promises like those? You don't talk like a Keltham expert that Malyol bestowed with a little more authority over the rest of us. Asmodeus owns me, and owes me nothing in exchange, and I'll think whatever thoughts might serve him, it being hard to know in advance of thinking them. Concern yourself with your fate, Asmodea, and if there's a promise it's worth making you, then I'll tell you why I can promise it. Asmodia gives a half-nod of acknowledgement. Fair's fair, even if she couldn't say whatever Keltham would say about what exactly makes that be fair. With a fraction of preliminary agreement to agree on something behind them, it's time to speak a little more frankly. What exactly are you looking for from me? I thought we were here to coax useful information out of Keltham to get transcribed for the real experts. That requires us to look harmless to Adathilani. To be pretty girls that men enjoy thinking they can teach, and to make fast progress and show it to him. So he'll move on to more advanced lessons. If you've got priorities that aren't the project priorities, and involve Dath Ilani thinking that we were told on day one was insane, 
I need to hear spelled out what kind of merchandise you want me to have on offer. And then I need to hear confirmation, that's okay from security, with whom I'm not interested in being in trouble, though I'd agree to keep it secret from the other students if you wanted. Maybe it's not obvious, if the thing you want most is to stop existing. Why is that even a way humans can be insane? I suppose I don't need to tell you this, Asmodia, but most people run into five kinds of heresy the first time they try having an original thought, and we presently have a problem that we can't solve without a fair bit of original thought. I'm not, of course, an exception, but I suspect that the five kinds of heresy I end up at are entirely different from yours. I want you to think anyway. You can end all your thoughts in and this is why I want my soul expended for magical power by the darkest of sorcerers. If you want, I don't care, though do mind that your only route to that is to impress me. I want you to try to understand the math underlying law well enough that if we end up sticking more headbands on you, you can derive things Dath Elon didn't get around to teaching Keltham. I want you to do well enough at that. Keltham notices, ideally, but I actually think I care more about the math than the Keltham noticing. And if you hate the idea of him noticing you, in particular, you can feed all your clever mathematical insights to Meritzel. Who will absolutely hate not having come up with them herself. Asmodia thinks the same thing, and doesn't suppress her small, vicious smile. Security, if you're there... I request confirmation that Sivar's sudden interest in lawful, neutral thinking doesn't mean she got oracled by Irori, and that the Queen, the Grand High Priestess, and Asmodeus would be fine with this private trade. A wizard remains invisible, but the spell hiding them and their arcane mark appear, as plain as sight to Asmodea, without need of detect magic, which she prepared on sheer reflex this morning before realizing that she was being dumb. Confirmed, says security and just to fuck with Sever in an allowable sort of way. If the queen wasn't fine with it, she probably would have mentioned it when she visited Sever's bedroom this morning. Carissa, several weeks ago, cared if her subordinates thought she was sleeping her way to the top, but that ship has sailed and circumnavigated the globe and soared off to become an airship at this point. Besides, sleeping your way that much to the top isn't even shameful. So, I think I offered a look at my spellbook, she says instead. Yes, it was, in fact, very generous of you. Asmodia follows Sivar to her bedroom. Not the first person to do that, apparently. But at the point where someone can nab Abrogale Thrune II, while not looking any prettier than Carissa does, she is no longer a slut. She is a shape-changed ancient dragon slut with nine slutcaster circles, and only a fool would anger someone who's as much of a slut as that. And along the way, while she's still wearing the intelligence headband, Asmodia asks herself what she understands about Dath Ilani thinking. There's obvious notions like they've developed some inner thing like arcane sight that pierces through the prime material like a realm of shadows and sees mathematics underneath it. But Keltham already knows that and isn't being shy about teaching it to them. Figuring out what they lied to Keltham about, filling in the holes of his knowledge, there's some parts that are obvious. If you were raised evil, what a perfected lawful good society carefully hides from children and citizens of questionable loyalty. Sadism. The possibility that you can hit people to get them to do what you want. That you can force people to go on playing games they aren't being bribed to play. If Asmodia has an advantage in figuring out something like that, 
It will be the math that they censored from him. Is there any part of this that she has an elemental affinity for? The first day wasn't an unhappy one, was as happy as any day in Cheliax ever gets, between the moments of anxiety and being sure that Keltham was fucking with them. They found out that it's possible to glance at a country of half-men and half-women and pierce through the obscuring veil of matter to the law behind. And the thought occurs to Asmodia, then, if she is, for some reason, allowed to think about Dath-Elani thinking, that there's something about Keltham's Dath-Elani attitude in the face of difficult problems that's indomitable? Wrong word, and maybe Taldane doesn't have a right one. Something that isn't expecting that students only get problems that they've been trained to solve. Keltham does ask if Galarian has already tried and failed to solve problems, but only to know how difficult they'd be for him to solve, not to consider whether they might be impossible. You never get the impression for a fraction of a second that Doth Elon itself would respect all of Galarian's past hard work as meaning anything. Why should they? when Galarian could stare at a country of half-men and half-women for millennia, bargain over shoes for millennia, and never see the towering structure of law barely a step out of vision that Dathilani seven-year-olds learn about from older boys. A lot of people in Galarian have tried to get immortality, or get out of soul contracts, but they weren't Dathilani. If nothing else, destroying a soul, if Abaddon, or the Starstone, can do that at all. Or just putting a statue somewhere it will never ever be reachable again, even by the Hell Knights or Hell, really doesn't seem like the sort of thing that a class of Dathilani children would give up on, if a teacher gave it to them as a puzzle they didn't know how to solve. Though it sure would serve them right if there was also some way like that to destroy everything. Carissa gives Asmodia ten minutes with her spellbook and then requires her headband back. And perhaps they've missed Keltham's magic lessons? By now, but perhaps they haven't? Asmodia would rather think by herself than be around Keltham right now, if that wasn't an order. She's having way too many disloyal pre-thoughts and should stay further from security's focus until they go away. Keltham is trying to prepare prestidigitation this time, just in case he has more luck with other cantrips than read magic. It looks more complex. That doesn't mean it's actually harder to set up. Ioni is in the library as always, running Detect Magic, and trying to describe in words what she sees happening over the spellbook scaffold in response to Keltham's attempted motions. She hopes one of the people with actual arcane sight can stop pretending not to have it, so they can cast an illusion of what Keltham is doing for Keltham to see. Meritxell is present, trying to show it with thread, but an illusion would be a lot better. Carissa has her headband back and likes it. Security having arcane sight won't be surprising to Keltham and leaves the option of claiming it's a ritual that takes a year or something. Maybe one of them can cast an illusion? Why would security need to explain how security's abilities work? It's probably just all magic to the weird, ignorant kid. But sure, security can do a real-time illusion of what's happening over the scaffold. Wait, so that was possible for more experienced wizards, and people didn't think to ask security then because they were being invisible all the time? I'd complain about all the time I expended with suboptimal efficiency yesterday, but that's actually kind of a hilarious paranoia cost, and you get those when you're trying to be sufficiently paranoid. Is Keltham having any more luck at spelling, now that he can see what he's doing? He sure is. Obviously, eventually he's going to want an intuition for it, 
but it's much easier to develop an intuition for it when you can see it. Is he having so much luck that he can actually hang a reed magic or prestidigitation cantrip? After a while, more of fiddling with it, yes. Oh, flaming poop, yes. He's going to be a wizard. Being a cleric was fun and all, most of the time, but having his own magic feels a lot less like he's depending on somebody else's charity. How many cantrips can Keltham get? He definitely needs prestidigitation around for laundry, but also hungers for mage hand, and mending and message and arcane mark, and dancing lights and... He can prepare four in a day. That's not a hard physical limit. There are clever tricks one can spend months to years learning to prepare six or eight. But four is standard once you have the basics down, and going past four requires doing a ton more work on things like finding overlaps in the spells so you can stabilize them against each other, which aren't worth Keltham's time right now. He can only prepare four a day, or only have four hung at a time. Do his two cleric cantrips count against the limit? The cleric ones don't count. He can only prepare four in a day, even if he's let them go. If he tries, having let one go to put something else in its place on the scaffold, it will bend out of shape. Actually, maybe he should try it so he can see. Sure, he'll practice catching reed magic a few times, and then dismiss it if he hasn't failed accidentally after six casts. That spell doesn't obviously seem very useful, except that it was a spell whose look and feel he remembered. Now prepare Mage Hand and Message. Then if he tries to prepare reed magic again, he'll be past the four limit, right? What happens? The scaffold doesn't look the same as it did when he started. It's changed shape on him, in security's illusion, curled and folded as he's laid spells into it. The place where he would have started building reed magic before visibly isn't shaped like that right now. Keltham will mentally review whatever he's presumably already been told about how the scaffold knows how many cantrips he's prepared and why people don't just get another spellbook, unless nobody has explained this to Keltham at all in which case Keltham will ask. The scaffold changes shape as the spells are built on it, because magic affects the stable shapes for nearby magic. It was changing shape all along. It was just less notable because there was still some available spell-building space. You can get better at scaffolding so you have space for more and more powerful spells. You can get another spell book and build another scaffold which will come out identical to the one you've currently got, because the interactions that are shaping it are part of you, not part of the spell book. Hmm. Well, Keltham doesn't see anything promising to ask about that at the moment. Obviously, he has unboundedly many questions like, do the very short people get fewer cantrips by way of checking that it's nothing to do with spatial volume of the caster? Or, even if the limit ends up being four for almost everyone, can you detect subtle changes in how fast and how much the scaffold collapses, which vary by, say, somebody's cranial volume? But not actually anything that's, like, important. Well, unless... No such thing as a magic reset, where you hit me with a powerful dispel that blows away all my current wizard spells, and whatever sort of internal magical changes correspond to my having already prepared spells. Don't actually do that now, unless you're sure it doesn't get my cleric spells too. There are spells that can do that, but that take a couple hours to do so. They don't work on the same person repeatedly in short succession. They wouldn't hit cleric spells. They mostly intensely compress the process that happens naturally in deep sleep that relaxes those internal magical charges. Worth trying to prepare a first circle wizard spell, or don't even bother until I've prepared cantrips for a few days. You have to learn a bigger scaffold. Probably not worth it today.
If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash AI. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.